What's your favorite smell? You know, there's so many to choose from, but here's just a few. Freshly cut Christmas trees. Who likes that? A rose. Lavender. Vanilla. Fresh bread baking in the oven. Freshly popped popcorn. Fresh brewed coffee. Bacon. Freshly cut grass. Meat barbecuing on the grill. That new car smell. Freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. What would be your least favorite smell? Again, there are a lot to choose from, and some are very unsavory. I'll stay away from the most unsavory ones. I'll let your imagination, uh, you know, take care of that. How about a full kitchen trash bag or dumpster? Sewage, rotten milk, rotten food, plastic burning, car exhaust, bleach. As we all know, humans have five senses, touch, sight, hearing, taste, and smell. Our sense of smell is considered to be the strongest. You know, the sense of smell is the first of all our senses to develop. Even before we're born, our sense of smell is fully formed and functional. Our scent smells are renewed every 28 days. So every four weeks, you get a new nose. A woman's smell of sense, sense of smell is much stronger than a man's. Our sense of smell is most closely linked with memory. We can remember smells with 60% accuracy after a year, while our visual recall is only about 50% after three months. One, all right, think about what is your most evocative smell from childhood. A survey found that 85% of all people remembered their childhood when they caught the smell of Crayola crayons. The Bible also talks about the sense of smell. Gene actually just read the first uh, scripture, 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 15. Paul says that Christians, as we spread the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we go, we are the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. To those who accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we are the fragrance of life. But to those who reject him, we are the fragrance of death. Psalm 141.2 says, uh, the psalmist says, May my prayer be counted as incense before you. The raising of my hands is the evening offering. He was remembering the sacrifice that the priests would make on the altar of incense as the Israelites were praying each morning. When we're praying pure, holy, and fervent prayers in Jesus' name, those prayers become a fragrant and sweet odor to the Lord. Philippians 4.18, Paul calls the gifts that the church of Philippi sent him a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Paul says we are to imitate God by living a life of love for others just as Christ loved us and sacrificed himself on the cross for us. His act of love and sacrifice was an offering to God as a fragrant aroma, just as our love for others would be to God as well. Last week, Pastor Stewart taught us about God's perfect timing as Noah patiently waited for the flood to end and the earth to become dry. They had been in the ark for over a year, and after landing on the mountain range of Ararat, Noah sends out a raven and a dove to check on the dryness of the earth. 
Finally, after the third time the dove didn't return, Noah knew that the water had dried up from the earth. But it still took almost another month and a half until the surface of the earth was completely dry. All during this time, Noah did not leave the ark. He didn't take it upon himself. He waited on the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31 says, Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Now, waiting on the Lord doesn't mean we sit idly by, but it means we bind together with God. It's the idea in John 15, it says, to be connected to the vine. The vine is Jesus. Some of the ways that we can be connected to Jesus is by being in God's word, being in prayer, and by being focused on the Lord through true and genuine worship. As we wait upon the Lord, we are connected to him and are renewed and strengthened. And we see this waiting on the Lord in Noah's life. He could have rushed out as soon as the dove didn't return. The circumstances on the earth looked suitable for them to leave the ark, but that was no guarantee that God was ready for them to leave and begin their new life. I think Noah was so tuned into God and his will for him that he waited for God's perfect timing to be revealed. This morning we finally see Noah, his family, and the animals leave the ark. And the first thing that Noah's going to do is build an altar and sacrifice burnt offerings to the Lord. God smells Noah's sacrifice, and it was a pleasing aroma to him. But what was it about Noah's sacrifice and worship that was pleasing to God? What are the ingredients of our worship that pleases God? It shows that we are striving to live daily holy lives. Those are the questions we'll look to answer this morning as we study this passage, which brings us to our big idea this morning, which is our holiness is expressed through the pleasing aroma of our worship. Before we start, let's pray and commit our time together to the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us as we study your word. Open our hearts and minds and give us supernatural insight. Pray that you would use your word this morning to teach us, rebuke us where needed, correct us, and, tra and to train us up in righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's two points this morning. Our first point is God's command and Noah's obedience. And that's found in Genesis 8, 15 to 19. This is what God's word says. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply in the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land, came out of the ark, one kind after another. Finally, after a little over a year, God commands Noah to come out of the ark with his family. And we notice two things. One, this is the first and only time God talks to Noah while he's in the ark. And two, God is still only talking with Noah. God commands Noah to bring out every living creature that was with him in the ark. And God commands them to multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. This reminds us of God's command in the garden to be fruitful and multiply. The multiplying of creatures on the earth had been stymied by the flood. 
But now God is rebooting creation. And as we've seen before in the story of the flood, it follows the same pattern, that God speaks and Noah obeys. Noah has waited on the Lord's perfect timing, and now he obeys God's command to come out of the ark with his family. He's followed by the animals, the crawling things, and the birds, one kind after another. We can notice that God is restoring not only the population, but orderliness in the world after recreating through the flood. And later on in our scripture, we'll see that God continues to restore his order on the earth. Because Noah was righteous and blameless in his generation, God chose him to recreate humanity on a recreated earth. All through the story of the flood, Noah has shown his faith and has been obedient to what the Lord has commanded time and time again. His obedient faith has played out again as he disembarks from the ark, followed by his family and the animals, and it says his faith is counted to him as righteousness. His righteous and holy life was expressed through his obedient faith. As we strive to live holy lives set apart from the world, we must follow the example of Noah and be faithful and obedient to God as well. And that brings us to the first step on the back of your communication card, which is to follow the example of Noah and having an obedient faith in response to God's words and commands. Our second point is Noah's worship and God's response. And that is found in verses 20 to 22. This is what God's word says. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Now we see Noah's holiness and righteousness in his expression of faith as he responds to God's deliverance from the ark and his salvation from the flood. Imagine that you're Noah. You've just been stuck in the ark floating on, the, on water for over a year. What is the first thing that you might do when you step out on the dry land? I can imagine that I would be so happy that I'd kiss the ground. On May 21st, 2021, a number of Indonesian fishermen were rescued from a boat that had been taken on water for three days off the coast of Western Australia. They were visibly emotional and kissed the ground beneath them as they got on dry land. I think there's a picture of it. Reminds me of a story. Reminds me of a trip that Judy and I took to Chicago a number of years ago. One night we needed to go from one end of Chicago to the other, so we took a taxi cab. You know, I don't remember how long the, the taxi cab drive took. Maybe 15, 20 minutes, maybe longer. Could have been shorter. And I really didn't have an opinion about the ride, except that I had no idea that back seats of cabs were so small. But I could tell that Judy, on the other hand, was not enjoying the ride at all. In fact, when the taxi cab finally reached our destination, we all got out of the cab, we find Judy face down on the ground, on the curb, and it looks like she's kissing the ground. She was so thankful for God's deliverance from that cab. At least that's what we all thought. In reality, as she got out of the cab, probably in a hurry to get out of the cab as fast as possible, she tripped on the curb and went straight down. 
But no matter what, she was definitely very happy to be out of that cab. Noah's first thought as he gets out of the ark, and for the first time over a year, is Godward. He wanted to worship the Lord in gratitude for saving him and his family. And his first act of worship was to build an altar and sacrifice some of all the clean animals and birds as burnt offerings on it. Golden Gate says the building of an altar is significant, that it means proclaiming Yahweh's name over a place. It signifies that this area belongs to Yahweh and recognizing that the place is a place where Yahweh has acted. And Hamilton adds, the point is that Noah's first act indicates his faith that God has brought him through the flood. And we're reminded when God commanded Noah to take both clean and unclean animals into the ark. He was preparing Noah to have the capability to make these sacrifices. He says these sacrifices are burnt offerings, which meant the entire animal or bird was sacrificed on the altar. Burnt offerings are probably the oldest and most common of all the Old Testament sacrifices. Reverence, petition, gratitude, dedication, and atonement are all expressed through burnt offerings. By sacrificing the entire whole animal on the altar, meant that Noah was totally committed to the Lord. Noah's righteousness and holiness was expressed by his faith, his obedience, and now his total commitment to the Lord in worship. Our righteousness and holiness is also expressed by our faith, obedience, and total commitment to the Lord in worship. We see God's response to Noah's total commitment to him. It says that the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. This is the only time in Scripture that the Lord is said to have smelled a sacrifice. It means that God approved of Noah and his worship. If God had refused to smell the fragrance of the offering, it would mean he wasn't pleased. The aroma of Noah's sacrifice was pleasing or soothing. Soothing sacrifices have a restful or pacifying effect on God. God's righteous anger at sin is appeased or soothed by sacrifice. Matthew says, Noah's worship soothed the broken heart of God, which had been injured by man's wickedness. The soothing aroma is best reflected in the idea of rest. Yahweh smelled the rest-inducing odor of Noah's sacrifice, again, which reminds us of, reminds us of Noah's name. Pastor Stewart mentioned it last week in his message, and it comes up again here. Lamech named his son Noah because he hoped Noah would bring rest to mankind from the labors of his hands. Here it is implied that Noah's sacrifice has had a restful, soothing effect on God. Noah's worship was authentic, genuine, reverent, and was offered with clean hands and a pure heart, which made it acceptable and pleasing to God. That gives us an important principle this morning that God is pleased when his people genuinely worship him. This is what God is looking for in our worship. We need to ask ourselves, is our worship authentic? Is it genuine? Is it reverent? Is it offered with clean hands and a pure heart? If we're striving to live daily holy lives, our worship will be all those things. One of the commentaries told a story about a girl in the youth group who was preaching on this passage. And the title of her message was, Stink for God. He was a little worried where that was going, but she made her point. Stink for God means to live a life that God would take notice of because of our total commitment to him in worship. And that brings us to our second next step, 
and with that you communication card, which is to live a life that God would take notice of because of my total commitment to worship, to him and worship. Next we see that in response to Noah's worship, the Lord makes a promise. Notice he doesn't voice his promise to Noah, but only in his own heart. Maybe he didn't want Noah to be prideful thinking he was the one who caused God's promise to be made. Through the entire story of the flood, it's been God doing the moving. It's been God giving his grace to Noah. It's not because of anything Noah did, but totally because of the grace and mercy of the Lord. God's promise was threefold. First, the ground will, be never cursed, will never be cursed again because of man. Now, this didn't mean that the ground the curse received from Adam and Eve's sin would be lifted or taken away. It meant that the ground would not be cursed any further. The next statement that we see is a little difficult to understand what God meant. But the NIV says, even though every inclination of his heart, talking about man, is evil from childhood. And the New American Standard Version says, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. The first may be saying that another judgment will not solve the problem of the human heart because it will always be evil from childhood. So God says he will never again destroy all living creatures. The second seems to imply that human hearts are wicked, will persist in sin, and not learn from the lesson of the flood. But God in his grace determines to never again destroy all living creatures as he has just done. I like how Wearsby in his commentary puts it. He says, perhaps both are true. But the important thing is God spoke these things in response to Noah's sacrifice. And the sacrifice was a picture of the sacrifice of Christ. On the basis of the atonement accomplished by Christ on the cross, God could withhold judgment because justice had been met. Noah's sacrifice of burnt offerings may have been seen by God as an atonement for the wicked world that would continue in sin even after the flood. God would continue to show his grace and mercy to a lost world and withhold judgment because justice had been met by Noah's sacrifice. The second promise God makes is that he will never again destroy all living creatures by flood. Now, God will still deal with our individual sin. We will still receive judgment through the consequences of those sin, but we will not experience universal destruction by flood again. Noah was totally committed to God, and God is totally committed to the, to, to the human race. <clears throat> this commitment is not based on us being worthy, in fact, God makes this commitment knowing that our heart would be evil from our childhood. Noah and the rest of humanity will have a sense of security that they will not have to worry about building an ark every time it rains. The third promise that God makes is that there would not be any further interruption of the cycle of nature. In the beginning of creation, God established an order to the world as he created day and night and sun and moon. The earth was created in an orderly fashion to sustain life on a continual basis. But because of humanity's sinfulness and wickedness, the flood halted those rhythms, and chaos was again on the earth. In recreating the earth, God reestablished its order and its rhythms as it was at the beginning. And this restoration of order and rhythm is seen in four couplets that express extremes. 
These testify to the resurrection of predictability on the earth that is necessary to sustain life on it. First, we see seed time and harvest. Each year, there will be a time of plowing and seeding, and later, there will be a time to harvest it. Second, cold and heat. This may be talking about an extension of the seasons and go along with the next couplet, summer and winter. At creation, God ex- it created an expanse or firmament to separate the waters below from the waters above. This canopy seemed to create a hot, hot house effect on the earth, which may be why people were living longer lives before the flood. It's also possible that the canopy caused the earth to be warmer overall than it is now. But with the flood, God took the canopy away. And now there'll be more diverse temperatures, cold and heat, summer and winter. Lastly, we see there'll be day and night continuously. God's threefold promise addresses the three foundational functions started at creation, agriculture, weather, and time. Matthew says, they are all at the command of God who guarantees their punctual arrival, giving security to the world and its inhabitants. To say that the earth will continually go from one of these extremes to the other without end means we don't have to be worried about these things as we live our lives. Balance has now been restored, and God promises that it will never cease as long as the earth endures. (laughs) You all have heard of Play-Doh? Play-Doh was originally invented as a substance to remove soot from wallpaper. And it wasn't until decades later that it was marketed as a product for children. And now, in a manner of speaking, Play-Doh is returning to its roots. The latest Play-Doh innovation is a product line entitled Grown Up Sense. And according to Play-Doh general manager, Lena Vatiketh, it's designed to appeal to the sensory cravings of adults. Notable examples include the floral ambiance of a spa day, or that strong smell of suburban success, fretly cut grass for the lord of the lawn in your life. There's overpriced latte and mom jeans, a fragrance vaguely described as that of clean denim. And then there's Grill King, which smells like the wafting odor of smoked meat. Just as we are soothed by familiar aromas, God is pleased and soothed by our holiness expressed through the pleasing aroma of our worship. What should the pleasing aroma of worship smell or look like? Paul describes it in Romans 12, 1 and 2, which says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. (laughs) Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This passage contains all the elements of pleasing worship. First, there's the motivation to worship. It's in view of God's mercy. God's mercies are everything he has given us that we don't deserve. And the knowledge and understanding of those mercies should motivate us to praise and thank God. Second, the manner of our worship. We offer our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. 
This means we give all of ourselves to God. We give up control of our hearts, our minds, our hands, our thoughts, our attitudes, and we turn them completely over to him. How do we do this? It's by the renewing of your mind. This means replacing the wisdom of the world with true wisdom that comes from God. We're to worship him with our renewed and cleansed minds. There's only one way to renew our minds, and that's by the word of God. To know the truth, to believe the truth, to hold convictions about the truth, and to love the truth will naturally result in pleasing worship. Pleasing worship is done in spirit and in truth. We need to worship from the heart and in the way that God has designed us. Pleasing worship is God-centered, meaning it is reserved for God alone because he is the only one worthy of our worship. Worshiping out of obligation is displeasing to God and is incompletely in vain. He can see through all of our hypocrisy. Pleasing worship is not confined to what we do in church, but should be a daily lifestyle. Pleasing worship is the acknowledgement of God and all his power and glory in everything we do. Pleasing worship is all about glorifying and exalting God. The highest form of praise and pleasing worship is obedience to him and his word. If we are striving to live daily, holy lives, it will be expressed through the pleasing aroma of our worship. As the praise team comes to lead us in a final song, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Holy God, we want our worship to be a pleasing aroma to you. Help us to live a life that you would take notice of because of our total commitment to you in worship. Help us to follow the example of Noah and let our faith and obedience be counted as righteousness. Help us as we strive to live a life of holiness. And I pray that we would leave here changed and transformed by your word and ready to serve you in all the ways that you have called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.